Well, I will ask that question, but in one second, my lights keep going off, so I'm battling <laughs> with the lights in my room here. It's not affecting sorry, your productivity, Jane. Is no, so I, I've got to admit, it's not. You know, this is this is balancing sustainability and energy efficiency with productivity right now, and it's 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 not working. You flail your arms around every now and again. We'll know why. Well, least. that's what if you see me just doing this. This, this is this is why. So I need to get out. Oh, um, visceral experience of hybrid work. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to Reimagining Work from Women. My name is Nikki. I'm a women partner based in London, and I will be your host for today. I'm super excited because today I'm joined by three incredible gentlemen, and we've actually all known each other for quite some time. One of them is my Vancouver-based partner, Laurie. Hello, Laurie. And we are joined by two guests. We're joined by James Lowry, who is the Chief Customer Officer at Ascensis. And Ascensis is a software platform that helps organizations to deliver flexible workspaces. And then last but definitely not least, Joff Sharp, who is the Global Operations Lead and Head of EMEA for Flex by JLL. And that's the flexible workspace arm of one major commercial real estate service business called Jones Lang LaSalle. So lovely to have you all here. As I said, we go back quite some time. Jock, James, and I used to work together at a property company in the UK, which we then subsequently all left. And Laurie used to work with us and really helped us with our culture and the service proposition of a flexible workspace offering that we all were working on. How are you guys? How are you today? Anything that you wish to share about yourself before we going into our conversation? Where do we start? I mean, we should we should probably refer to we we should probably give each other a reference. James Lowry was the person who who I worked very closely with running a flexible workspace business, and he was best known as the person whenever he had a really angry customer with a complicated problem, he would immediately delegate to me to deal with his customer intervention. So that that I think is a befitting introduction for James. Any feedback from you that you'd like to? Reverse introduce. Well, I just took that as that was very good upward management from myself. So thank you, Joff. Actually, the one co- you know compliment back because Joff did a very good job of creating the space for innovation to happen, which isn't always easy in large organisations. So I think that the going back to the culture point and actually the you know everything coming together on this call, I think it's actually really nice that you know creating the space, creating a different kind of culture actually all the work that Laurie kind of you know supported on I think enabled a lot of it and then you put together you know put that in the context of you know the team we kind of built and the kind of the mission that we were on actually I think it you know it is quite a nice kind of coming back together of the group that helped to deliver that so yeah yeah absolutely it's a reunion exactly and I do feel like when we worked together on this flexible workspace offering, it was a little, it was a bit disruptive, wasn't it? Like we were doing things that maybe not everyone was ready for yet. And it's very interesting to now think like how the world has evolved, like, I don't know, seven years on where we're finding ourselves and how that needs for, for flexible, for flexibility, not only from a workspace perspective, but also from a culture perspective and an employee experience perspective is very much needed. So yes, 
very much the coming back together of a group of people, I think, very passionate about that interplay and that intersection of how do we make this work in service of of customers, of employees. And yeah, I'm very excited that you wanted to jump on this conversation. We mentioned the word flexible a few times now, and both of our lovely guests work in the field of flexible workspace. And exactly that is what we want to touch on today. So what do we actually mean when we talk about flexibility? Yeah, what does this truly mean from a space and an environment perspective and also from a culture perspective? And maybe more importantly, what are what are leaders out there facing in terms of challenges in this field? I'm happy to, to start. I think, I think firstly, the, what, it, it's, there's an important point to make. I think a lot of, the, a lot of what we're going to talk about, in fact, all of it applies really to people working in offices. And I think as a kind of a starting point, it's just worth putting that kind of boundary. Not everyone works in offices and, and I drop my kids off at school every day and I see the teachers who were there five days a week at the gate at 8.30 every single morning, right? But there has been this huge shift of office-based workers and, and, and flexibility. And I think if I look at it very simplistically, I think that comes down to a choice of kind of where you work. And we talk a lot about hybrid working. So I think that often gets simplified into the home versus the office. I think in reality, it's probably more complicated than that. There's other spaces, which I'm sure we'll touch on today. And then there's the kind of when people work, right? Which I think there's people, there's morning people, there's evening people, people do four days a week and you kind of put all that together and it becomes this quite complicated mix of things, which is definitely not a one size fits all. And that is both a challenge for companies who are kind of running businesses and also for for workspace providers who are trying to cater for this kind of very, very complex changing customer need so that would be as a starting point there's lots in there to yeah unpack. well they, so, um, okay. i guess you can you can look at it through different lenses covid obviously it, it basically forced mass trial usage of working from home or working from somewhere that you're not used to which had a consequence and so all of a sudden the employee has has a perspective and an opinion that their employer has to listen to the HR people who now, I mean, I used to be an HR person. Nikki will probably tell you a terrible one, but that's what I was for a long time. And, you know, and work, but workplace strategy wasn't a huge thing. You know, it, was a, it, was, it wasn't up there with talent management, for example. You know, you would never take it as seriously as a topic like that. All of a sudden, workplace strategy is, you know, something that a chief executive will take an interest in, which is, oh, which yeah. is new. So... Lots of ways of lots of ways of getting into the subject, I think. Yeah, and what I actually hear you both say is things have become more complex, right? That's like it's no longer so straightforward. No, now other people have a vested interest in this, right? Like our employees have a vested interest in terms of what is happening in the place that we work. And with that has come a language change. And now currently I, I agree with James around the conversation of flexibility, a lot of what that language speaks to is where do we work and when do we work? So Laurie, from from a culture perspective, what else do we see there? Yeah, I think the 
James, you said something earlier when you were introducing Joff around that he created a space that felt like it was really conducive to the innovation that you needed to start that business. And I think there's something nice in that word and that concept of creating space that you're talking to from a physical environment perspective. And I think the cultural piece is sort of the same. I think the big thing that we're seeing around flexibility is trying to break out of the the just speaking about flexibility in terms of where you work and when you work, that it becomes an office space and a working hours conversation. But it starts to really take into account how different people need to be able to work to be able to do their best work. And so if you're thinking about the space you're creating, the experience you're creating for the people you need to deliver and produce the work that you do, it's about asking more pointedly, how do the needs of the different individuals that work here differ? And how do we somehow find a way of catering to those that allows each person to work in a way that enables them to be productive and to kind of balance what's going on in their life with the way that they do their work, whilst at the same time, enabling a collective system to operate so that it doesn't just become a free-for-all of everybody doing their own thing. And I think that the concept of flexibility has got a bit stuck in trying to navigate that tension between how are we enabling individuals to do what they do. You've talked about morning people versus evening people. We've talked about people who have amazing places to do their work from home versus people who share their home with a whole lot of other people who also want that kitchen table for their laptop or who have kids running around and screaming in the background, how do you start to enable an experience for people through the space that you create through the workplace and through the culture that actually enables them to do their best work? Yeah, I'd say there's a couple of of related thoughts I would offer on this. One is the JFK thought of ask what not what the workplace can do for you, but what you can do for the workplace, which is this idea of, when you see all these LinkedIn blogs about how productive people are, they rarely say I'm productive because I'm available for the new the new starter who wants to be mentored and wants to be given a sense for the company and the culture and all the rest of it. It's all very selfish about that productive through a lens of now I can walk the dog and collect the kids and do all the things that I want to do, but with very little commentary around the consequence that might have for a frustrated chief executive right down to the brand new employee who just wants to be orientated. So I think there's a there's a degree of selfishness which is getting in the way of clear thinking on this this topic. And it comes from, from all directions, and, and it's all disinformation of one sort or another. The other thing which doesn't get much airtime and I think deserves more is the issue of calibre. Because if the workforce is more self-directed, there is a built-in assumption that it is a motivated and a self-starting and, a, and an effective workforce without traditional forms of supervision and that is a that is a an automatic assumption which i don't think you could make and the netflix hr policy for example which is a much read so you'd never think an hr policy would would get much interest from people but this one's been downloaded some 40 million times or something but it's a very liberalizing policy that says we don't dictate holiday times for example you can do whatever the heck you want but it is accompanied by a caveat 
that we only hire very good people. And if we make a mistake, they get very short shrift and they get moved out of the organization if they're not able to operate in the way that we expect. So not to monopolize the conversation, but there are, there are other aspects, elephants in the room, which really aren't being talked about and they need to be in order to move this conversation on to something that's a bit more practical and useful. Well, just to kind of, I guess, related to that point about high-performing people, don't mention productivity earlier as well. I think realistically today, not many companies can accurately measure the productivity of their workforce. There has been a there's been a perception that if everyone's sitting in the office, sitting in front of their computer, kind of you know typing away or looking busy, that they're being productive. When you get into a world of people working anywhere at different times, but ultimately being output focused, it's really difficult to do that. Really difficult to kind of truly understand. And I think there are you know there are parts of of a workforce where it is easier. You know, if you in a sales function, for example, and your your job is to kind of sell, well, you can measure that. If you sit in marketing or HR or finance to kind of really be able to understand what great looks like, what are the measures, how do you kind of get down and to highlight those kind of high caliber people beyond just I see X person at their desk at 7.30 every morning and they seem to work really hard. So, And if you then kind of pick that a little bit more, to me, this whole concept of it, sort of there's a trust point I think in this kind of flexible there's a very sort of feeling you know I feel like I trust that person and they kind of deliver well for me but actually to be truly truly objective about a lot of the work that kind of happens today and and enabling some of the kind of really high performing companies working in flexible ways whatever that might look like I don't think we understand enough about the businesses themselves yeah I think both of you are speaking to some real challenges that leaders are facing out there, right? Because it's it this is coming up, like the, the conversation around productivity, for instance. The way we hear about this is that people come to us and, and they speak to, hey, how do we make sure we keep performing at the same rate? So the language that is used there is very much around performance. And there is, I think, a very interrelated, like productivity and performance are can be closely related. And then we hear about different generations in the workforce and and having different needs as you just spoke to. Laurie, what do you make of this from an employee experience perspective linking to what the guys were just saying? I I really agree, James, with what you're saying there about there's more we need to understand and we need to get more curious about what actually drives performance inside our businesses because for a very long time, time and place have been two easy proxies that we've been able to use for productivity. How long is someone at their desk for? And if they're at their desk and we can curate this environment around their office, then let's call that culture. And so we've sort of equated culture with office and equated productivity with time. And I think what we're starting to see what the pandemic did was it tore those things apart. I don't think anyone's really sure exactly where they've landed. It depends who you ask, and it depends when you ask them. We've seen a sort of tidal flow of people out of the office, and this is the best thing ever. And then actually, no, we're going to bring people back in the office because being in the office is the best thing ever. And I think what it, what's what been interesting from our perspective is starting to divorce those ideas initially and go, hey, time is not a proxy for productivity in a lot of jobs if you're punching a machine then maybe but if you're involved in a creative industry that 
that relationship doesn't work in the same way. And actually the conditions that you create around somebody doing their work might enable them to be enormously more productive within time. And that asks big questions about where we do this and the kind of culture we put around them. I think the the challenge within that becomes if we suddenly recognize that different people want different things and need different things, whose agenda wins out in the end? You know, in the past, maybe, and Joff, you spoke a bit about this at the start, it would have been the boss saying, this is the way we do stuff here. Like it or lump it, come join our company if you like doing it this way, don't if you don't. And a bit of a shift to actually, does it have to be one size fits all, if that might be easier to manage, but in in the end, it's actually not as productive. We'll have something called hybrid that feels like it's some compromise around this but we're finding it really difficult to understand how to cater to different needs simultaneously. And I think that's what's leading to the knee jerks of, no, let's just bring everybody back to the office or let's try and commit one way or the other. And I'm curious sort of what you notice around who who decides how this works in, in organizations now, what a policy around workplace looks like. Is that a can? Is that something that you go out and you ask your workforce to help you decide, or is that something that you mandate and they choose whether to be a part of it or not? There is a real divide in this in the sense of how people are approaching it, and some some organisations are making very bold binary statements around this. How are you feeling about that? Look, I think to me, it, I think the answer lies somewhere in the kind of it, it's a bouncing of, of what kind of employees want to what the what the company needs are. And I think I, I read something recently which put it quite nicely around lead, you know, leaders need to work out how to create this kind of holistic employee experience that aligns to really what is well kind of valuable for their career, for their employee's career, and what is valuable for the business, right? And that's the kind of, that's the aim to try and get the balance right. And, and I think from a from an employee point of view, there's something around choice, right? Because, you know, because this, this, there isn't the kind of a one size fits all. So providing kind of some kind of choice and allow people to kind of you know, decide when and where and how and everything else. But at the same time, you've got to create those guardrails, right? Because yeah. I think with no guardrails, yeah. that just becomes kind of completely chaotic. And I, and I think with those guardrails it's really important coming back to sort of the the culture bit and i think you link what is a company culture i think there's points around clarity on a kind of operating model of a business the strategy the vision all of that sort of gets grouped together so that's got to be tight because previously probably didn't need to because everyone just sat and bumped into each other and seemed seemed to work so i think on the one on that side we you know companies need to be tighter clearer than they ever have been before and actually joff mentioned it at the very kind of beginning this is this is the kind of the hr department the the property the 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 property team it's it's finance it's the operations team it's everybody coming together and ultimately the ceo looking at it and and being able as a ceo exec or whatever it it is balancing all of those things, taking the time to think about it as well, because it, mm-hmm. you know, it hasn't been on the agenda. Now it has to be because it, it, you know, and lots of people are scratching their head, is my productivity dropping? What is my policy? 
so tightening up on 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 the company kind of day to day and providing that choice the other element in this actually which i think is is worth raising as well there was a there was an article i think in the bbc that record numbers of people not working due to long term illness yeah mental health being part of it yeah particularly in young people wow. right so i think you know that is part if you think about why do people want to come to the to the office and actually everything we've kind of mentioned earlier but there's there is different needs at different kind of age groups and it seems to be the case that younger people want to be in the office to learn to interact and and everything else and they are the ones that are actually suffering in some ways due to some of the the hybrid working so it is a tremendously complicated problem to to solve and one that will probably just keep iterating over months and years to come. Yeah, because yeah. as you were talking, I was thinking occupational psychologist. As a, you know, you, you were going through the list of all the people who whose voices need to be heard, and you could add that to the list for that reason. And there was, you know, Malcolm Gladwell published this piece. I can't remember it was which publication it was, but anyway, he was sort of talking about self-esteem and that sort of thing, and contextualizing the world of work and. What he was basically saying is, surely we don't all want to sort of sit at home in our living rooms and that and that to define our existence. And don't we want to get back to some more contextualized and even separation between work and home and all those sorts of ingredients? What was interesting, what he was saying, I don't think was particularly controversial. And of course, he's a very interesting commentator. But I mean, the visceral reaction that you saw from people absolutely furious that, you know, how dare he advocate a kind of a renormalization from from some people um you know and that's another feature of this conversation it, it it's so very often it's it's so individualistic and so angry and so one-sided and and very rarely is anyone permitted to say look there's about six different points of view and you need to think about all of them if you're going to come to a sensible conclusion i think there's something really powerful about that idea joff of there are lots of different opinions and needs at play here. And I think the one really useful break that I I would have imagined some of the reaction to Malcolm Gladwell's piece there was around was the system as it was works worked extremely well for a certain group of people who tend to be the people at the top of the system as it was, which is challenging because there were a lot of people that that system didn't work for that at least breaking the bonds between time, place, and productivity has opened up a conversation around. I think trying to shut that conversation down, which I see some CEOs doing that to me, is that perspective of, hey, the other system seemed to work just great, where people came in the office and did the work, we could watch them, and it happened, which actually eliminated the ability for people to grow and feel like they could bring their best selves to work for a a lot of people for whom a nine-to-five in an office that they have to travel to because they don't can't afford to live near it, etc., really doesn't work for. So it opens up that conversation, which is extremely powerful. The problem, as you say then, James, is that conversation gets very complicated very quickly when you're suddenly opening up all of these different needs and, and wants. And I think, what is it that starts to help us simplify that? What are some, what are some of the guide rails that can be put in around Let's actually be really clear about the work we do and about the way that we deliver that work in this culture, the kind of behaviors and ways that we need people to show up 
and deliver around that become artifacts that we can say these are the things that we're in support of. And so as we start thinking about our office portfolio and what it's used for, as we think about our work hours and our holiday time, there's an intention and an integrity that sits behind that that says that is in service of us delivering in these ways because that's the way that we deliver things here. And I think being able to have that kind of conversation of what are those elements that we can start to build agreement around or alignment around inside our organization that opens the door more than it was before to groups of people who can suddenly find productivity where it wasn't and leadership and growth where it wasn't previously offered to them, but doesn't create a complete free for all for a CEO to feel like they have to juggle a thousand agendas. They can really start to align what's what's needed here and how that's going to work for them. Yeah, I feel that that the guardrails is what people like more and more keep asking for, like help us sift us through through this complex um, world that we now that we now live in. And I think thank you, James, earlier for making the point of the work like the work that within is doing is very much needed right now. Can we just tighten up on like the ambition for the future, make sure people know about that, people know about the strategy, like people know about what is expected of them. That is now more so needed even more so than before. Um, when, and I want to bring it back to a question that Laurie uh, posed earlier that we didn't really get around. Like, So if we know that all these things are very much needed and we need to create some alignment around, around these pieces and people need to make decisions around what is right for this organization in particular, taking into account all this complexity, like who is on, in organizations, who is answering these questions? Like, like this, it's quite a complex problem. Who's, whose desk does that land on? Who's involved in those conversations? Um, I, will, I will ask that question, but in one second, my lights keep going off. So I'm battling <laughs> with the lights in my room here. It's not affecting your productivity, Jane. Is <laughs> I, I, I've got to admit, it's not, you know, this is, this is balancing sustainability <laughs> and energy efficiency with productivity right now. And it's, 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 it's not working. Flail your arms around every now and again. We'll know why. Well, least. that's why if you see me just doing this, this, this is, this is why. So I need to get out. Oh, um, a visceral experience of hybrid work that we're encountering yeah. in this moment. <laughs> Look, I, I can from interesting. I, I can give to sort of a, a perspective from a census. Actually, it is. Yes, please. You know, we, we meet. We we meet. You know, weekly as a kind of a small exco group, and and weekly as part of a one hour meeting, we will we will talk about kind of hybrid working. We will talk about what's working, kind of what's not. A lot of this does come back to sort of some simple things. Talking about the guide rail kind of point, we you know, we have, we moved to three days. When everyone was coming back, we sort of said, hey, okay, let's try and get to three days a week. We got to three days a week and actually moved that down to two days a week. And we keep checking in and we, we try to refine it through team days, all sorts of things. We are constantly testing and sitting in the room is, you know, HR, CEO, finance, I from the customer side and all the operational team linking to that and the sales function, and that's globally too, right? So on a weekly basis, we, we talk about this. We 
We are getting better on the data side of it as well. Actually, kind of what we do as a, as a business, we can collect data as to who's in the office at what times, kind of when, anonymized data actually, but again, picking up kind of patterns. And interestingly, all of this happening at the same time as actually we're, we sort of hit, we sort of hit almost capacity within our office. And we were at this point of, do we want to take some more space? Do we want to actually just kind of, you know, that's part of the decision to go from three days a week to two days a week to try and smooth it all. And and actually it's not, there's things that aren't kind of perfect. And I think the bit which I will kind of reflect on is around the measuring how productive people are, right? We, you know, we're, we're there's certain parts of, again, I kind of mentioned earlier, certain parts of the business where we're really clear. Actually, we have a whole product team here, around 70 people, and they are just producing software. Actually, that's quite easy to measure productivity. We measure that quite closely. We have a sales function. We can do the same. We have a customer team where we can measure certain things quite well, actually. Other parts of the business is tougher. And we're, we are refining how we look at, really, across the business, our kind of KPI set, how we can take at a top level of it and say, this is... This is product. This is high productivity, and this is less so, right? right? And that becomes kind of a measure on, on, and it's not exclusively are you in the office two or three days a week, and what tools. But we are trying to tighten to learn and to improve. Okay, I think and you're creating a little bit of your own benchmark. Well, yeah. we're creating a bit of our own benchmark, and actually, we take we we also take like ultimately from a SaaS business point of view, you can there's quite a lot of metrics and benchmarks out there as well which we can take as a guide mm-hmm. as well you know again it's not it's not a perfect fit but we can we do look at what what, what does good look like from an industry standard yeah it's like i mean it, the kind of considerations for any business are you know what's my employee turnover if your employee turnover is extremely low you can probably be more remote because you've already established norms and values hopefully and so you're reiterating something that's broadly agreed and understood between people. If you have high turnover, it becomes much more difficult. If you work in a, a company that generates IP, where you have quite a lot of individ, individualistic work, that's more conducive to home working, assuming that people have the environment to do that. So that's a you know that's another consideration. And the and the caliber and associated level of remuneration is a consideration as well. So. And it's interesting to hear a census, you know, for James. I mean, they, you know, you, I know your company well, obviously, and you have lots of very high caliber people doing quite complicated things. And I, I think, you know, you have to look at every circumstance. And, you know, you guys, Laurie and Nikki, I mean, your business is remote by definition. That's the way you are. You know, years ago, I worked for M&M Mars. In those days, kind of remote working was a bit of a pioneering idea. And, we had a program where everyone got together and, and emphasized the idea of investing time early on, figuring out who are these other people who live in Vancouver, London, and America and all points of the compass, you know, where, who are they? What are their values? Do we share a common perspective and establishing those norms and values so that when you then bomb burst to your respective locations, you trust each other and you know that you're pretty much doing what's expected mutually you can rely upon each other. And if you don't invest that time and effort, you know, you might think you all share values and only, you know, much later in the day, and in a way that might negatively impact customers, for example, you discover that your perspective is not as common as you had previously assumed. So again, this is not a brand new topic. It's just one that, 
used to be the preserve of specialists like yourselves. And it's now something that everyone has to worry about. Mm. Yeah, it's evolved. It's a thing now. Hybrid is, is, has a name, you know, we've labeled it. And it's not just, it's not just remote working or, you know, going on an overseas business trip, for instance. It's interesting to hear that there is so there's different people around the table talking about this, James, in terms of your example of how you go about looking at these things and figuring out what this might mean for your for your organization. Can I actually just just jump in one one point actually just on Joff's uh, point around kind of global businesses and I get I know yeah. you guys will definitely see this but we we have a team in Sydney so talk about work, working in a different place. And working at a different time, that kind of flex the two of the the, the 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 dimensions of flexibility, and they they couldn't be any more different to the UK, right? So all of that, <laughs> a lot of my focus is to make sure that anything and everything that we are doing is is doing it in a way that's supporting a very remote, on the upper ends of flexible working team, and it's tough. You know, it's tough, but then, then that's, I think that kind of the how point and the, the, the cultural point and the understanding and the ways of working and the tools, making sure that we, we have that really, really robust and that, that then creates the support that, that helps. Well, I, mean, I mean, we all, we all talk about flex and hybridization of work as though that's, you know, more or less expected and even necessary to live a fulfilling life. But I can tell you, I mean, some of the people I've spoken to is by all means, work from home, just as long as you, you submit a sickness note to prove that you're ill that day. So we, we shouldn't universalize this and assume that every culture is heading in this way, because that's actually not true either. Mm, no, that's not tr- true, definitely. And I think more and more complex for like bigger organizations that span so many different geographical markets, right? It's like, how do how do you bring people together and how do you come to some sort of alignment if if the needs or the, the actual requirements of the culture that, that they're living in are, are so different and might not accept such policies that we all dream up together. So yeah, there's, there's many different facets to it. Laurie, what else have we learned about, about hybrid and what comes into play with that? Oh, I mean, it's the list of things that don't is probably shorter. Because I, I think the, <laughs> the mistake we make is the, the thinking that the thing what we have to talk about in terms of a hybrid workplace again is kind of where are people going to work and when. And yeah. I think if you expand from that into the, what the implications are for other systems and processes inside a business and a culture that are affected by those decisions, technically a lot can, can a lot can change. You know, I think zooming right out, there's a question of what does it mean to be successful here what are we trying to grow for and into and is the objective here to maximize profit and revenue and growth or is it to maximize the experience of a group of people and still have a successful business like i think you can go zoom right out to that lens but even coming closer to home i think some of the things that you're referring to james and joff in there around you can't make a decision on where and when people work without it starting to impact, well, how do we measure people's success and what is it that productivity means here? If we're a company, for example, you know, in an agency world that we're a part of that sells time, then that is the currency by which we measure people. 
And so to say we're going to get flexible with time suddenly is alarming because that's the whole basis on which we do things. So you have to be starting to think in those places of reconnecting the ways that we reward people and help them feel like they are growing and rewarded for the work that they do in ways that align to how it is that they want to work. And I think the things that I see coming up a lot around this, these conversations that, that relates to how we're talking today is being able to ask that question into a, into a group of people and, and starting to, to think about a system that will enable people to do their best work. Part of that is around where and when do we work. Part of that is around what sort of space do we need to enable people to do the work that needs to be done? And can we get intentional about how that space is used? Do we have places where people can collaborate and do certain kinds of work and places where they can do other things? I know that's been a big part of the journey that we were all on together many years ago was starting to imagine what that space needed to look like. I think related to that is what are the ways that people get to connect with each other? And a lot of that should be through the work. And that's difficult to do if people are constantly remote and isolated from each other. But connection in the sense of I feel like I belong in a culture and I'm part of a, a bigger plan here of things that we're making isn't exclusively about spending time in physical contact with each other. There are loads of other things in a culture that can help to, to deliver that. And I think the other thing that, I, that we haven't discussed much today, but is a huge piece of this transition is around skill that working mm -hmm. remotely requires a fundamentally different set of skills around self-responsibility and managing to outcomes rather than tracking time, like a whole bunch of stuff from, from employees and even more from managers and leaders who have to somehow kind of connect and convene a culture, maintain productivity and be able to do that in a way that's based on, Hey, I'm going to trust the people in my team here to deliver the outcomes that we say we're going to work on without being able to see them or manage the time that they're working around it. Like that's a huge piece of the puzzle that I think doesn't often get pulled into conversations about flexible hybrid working that I'd like to see more of. Yeah. Thank you, Laurie. And I think that's a, that's a great segue into kind of bringing this conversation to the end. Thank you guys for stepping into this conversation with us. Super excited to have heard your perspective on this and very grateful for you to come on this podcast because whenever we talk to our clients and people in our community about the topic of flexibility, space and where and when are always at the forefront of people's minds. And I think as we've heard today, there is just a beautiful connection between those things and how do you therefore cater to people from um, employee um, experience perspective. So thank you for listening, everyone. We hope you have enjoyed this exploration of flexibility with James, Joff and Laurie. You can find more of our thinking on this topic and culture and employee experience at withinpeople.com. And you will find more about Joff and James in the notes that go with this podcast. Tune in to our podcast for more episodes on what's happening in the culture and leadership space and what's on the minds of leaders committed to change. Reimagining work from within is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Rats.